Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. It is another edition of T. Watts and T.R. here on the program. It is a Wednesday, April the 26th. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com alongside site publisher Tim Watts. Tim, we got a lot to get into on this midweek edition of T. Watts and T.R. As you might expect on the heels of A-Day 2023, we'll get into some NFL draft. It's officially NFL draft week. A big happenings on the horizon, no doubt, Tim. We'll get into some other things as well. Always our roundtable mailbag, big part of the program. We'll do that coming up a little bit later as well. But, Tim, first of all, I'll go ahead and accept your congratulations on my uh, my clear victory in the uh, A-Day player draft that we conducted last week. I'll, I'll go ahead and accept those now if you want to get it out of the way. In this tin bowl of beef <laughs> and a few hot dogs. <laughs> Beans, I mean, I already had steak, you know. I get the MVP and I wake up to this. I wake up. You to, had the MVP. You didn't have Malachi Moore. Either Malachi us, Moore was the official either, game MVP. Either of us had him though, so that's a that's a okay. That's a, well, well, all right, that's a push on the MVP. But um, no, we'll have some fun with that. We'll go back through our selections here for the A-Day game with our fantasy draft we conducted last week. And, Tim, let's start right there at the quarterback position because it continues to be a primary source for thoughts and opinions and the potential for adding maybe players still at the position. You had Ty Simpson as your quarterback in the game. I had Jalen Milrow. Um you know, I guess when you look at it statistically in terms of turnovers, uh, not so much for Jalen, although one of those, I'm going to make the case for him, one of those was a Hail Mary at the end of the second yeah. quarter. Now, his other interception was the worst of the interceptions. I'll give you that in the scrimmage. But he did show the wheels. He did have a couple of nice passes, including the one touchdown pass that he threw uh, to Emmanuel Henderson. What about my case for Milrow? What's yours for Simpson in this scrimmage? I will say... I'll give you Milro, although oh, I know oh. Simpson had a lot of drops. You know what I mean? For a young guy, that first yeah. action, um, still had 155 yards. Uh, and I'll tell you, you know, the one thing that kind of, to me, that two things limited both quarterbacks. One were the drops. Bama had way too many drops. They've got to they've rectify. They've got to get that right. And two, both of these are guys that can beat you with their feet, who can run. And in a spring game, you know, where they're not live, where they're just touching you with the hand and all of that, that limits them. But I would say I'd give the advantage to Milrow. I thought he made a handful of NFL-type throws. I thought he, the one on the sideline to Kendrick Law was just pure bananas. It was a beautiful pass. I thought he had a few of those. He did have a couple bonehead plays. Um you know, but I, overall, I don't have as much concern as maybe some other people do with the quarterback position. I think it was a pretty vanilla offense. I think the offensive line was still a work in progress, trying to figure that out. You know, I think Pritchard struggled a little bit. So we had, you know, we had Milrow under pressure a decent amount. Um, 
So yeah, I would I would say Milrow there. Uh, but I would like to asterisk noted that Ty Simpson had a lot of yards left on the field with drops. He did. He absolutely did. I think really you could say the same even for Eli Holstein, who hit Isaiah Bond on a perfectly thrown ball there in the second half, only to have it drop. So it was problematic for the quarterbacks in the game. Um, again, some of the rudimentary quarterback decisions and processing and execution that you expect to see from a potential starter at Alabama. Didn't see enough of that at times, but I think you hit on it too. And the point I've made since Saturday uh, is that absolutely. If you think what you saw from Alabama conceptually, uh, play calling wise, sequencing, those type of things is what you're going to see from that offense in the fall. You haven't been listening to what we've been talking about or what you've heard Nick Saban talking about with the run game. And so uh, I'll take Jalen Milrow for the W. I was ready to offer you a push there, but uh, I'll, I mean, if you're giving away four foot putts, you know, I'll take a four foot putt. I'm not as down on the quarterbacks again as some other people did. I thought I know they did some things uh, that you you know Nick Saban especially is not going to want him to do a couple careless passes and decision making mm-hmm. and all that. But again, I do feel like the defense had the huge advantage. Um, in both cases, but especially against Milrow. I mean, he was going against a pretty good group, uh, a lot of edge rushing coming at him. Um, so I'm willing to give him that. I thought he was composed. I mean, he did make a couple of bad mistakes, and that's kind of what people were focusing on. But I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on the positives. But I do think Ty had a had a had a pretty good game. Um, I do think those drops and hey, we got to throw Dylan some love, right? I was going to ask you. I mean, I, I'm trying not to get sucked in already by Dylan Lonergan from what I saw in one scrimmage, but man, and I'm not. I'm not. What we saw was very impressive, wasn't it? I, that's the thing is that you have to understand who he's with, who's on his team, who's against him. All that does factor in, but also at the same time, he looked composed. He looked very much like a college quarterback. Mm-hmm. This is a guy that's been going through an injury, didn't play baseball this year, all that stuff. Um, but he looked like he did in high school. And, you know, that's often the case. It's usually just not so quick. I mean, he's not far removed from an injury, and he's only four months away from having been in high school. So he looked composed, again, going against, you know, not the not obviously not the number one defense. Also, we didn't see him throw the ball deep, really. Most of that was checking down, but he did find the open receiver, short compact compact throw, and a strong arm. So wouldn't get carried away. I think he's a distant third at best in that situation. But I was impressed. I was impressed with him. Here's what I'll go as far as to say about the current quarterback situation. If in fact Alabama adds another quarterback to that starting competition with Ty Simpson and Jalen Milrow. Uh, a Tyler Buckner or whoever, I, I don't think it's because of the young quarterbacks. I don't think that decision will be made because, well, you know, we don't even know if we have a guy a couple of years down the road. Because when I watched Dylan Lonergan on Saturday, Tim, and again, not to get too swept up, but what I saw was a guy similar to what I saw in Mac Jones in his first spring game. Wasn't always perfect. You know, Dylan had a throw there in the second half. Should have been intercepted in the end zone probably by Des Ricks. But, boy, just in the way he started the scrimmage, like, no sweat. This is no big deal to me. I, you know, I've been, been doing this all my life, which I'm sure he has. And his DNA at the, the quarterback position is, is also documented as well. But 
I was impressed with Dylan Lonergan, man. And, and look, Eli Holstein for, for some of that, too. Yeah, they showed some talent composed. I like that about them. But, yeah, overall, I thought the quarterback group was, you know, and I think that it's hard. You know, I talked to so many friends that are Bama fans and, you know, also people on the message board. But it's hard to go off the four quarterbacks they had in a row, the run they had, and um, and not judge this group really harshly. But I think overall it's a solid group. All right, let's move on to the running back position. And it looks like I'm going to have to give you that one because your guy, Justice Haynes, one of your two selections to go along with Roydell Williams, uh, three total touchdowns. That'll get it done in most fantasy leagues, won't it, Tim? Yeah, I mean, I know his yards per carry wasn't much, but, man, there just wasn't a lot of room. That defensive line was good, overwhelming, the, you know, the offensive line, I thought. But, yeah, he found the end zone, uh, you know, a few times, had big plays, showed the flash that we're kind of looking for there. Um you know, with 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 the running game, but overall, I mean, I don't think the running game outside of the touchdowns was particularly sexy like we wanted to see. We didn't see any big runs, really. Um, you know, the quarterbacks really had the most yards. In fact, I'm looking; both quarterbacks uh, led both teams in rushing. So, um, not a big average, 2.7 yards per carry, but he did find the end zone. He kind of showed us what we're expected to see, what we're expecting to see next year. You want to know what kind of told me that Alabama's been pounding the rock over the spring was that those couple of times when Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson kept off that zone read action, you watch the backside outside linebacker and also the the inside linebacker to the quarterback side. Those guys were chasing the back hard, so they must have really pounded these backs in the spring because uh, on the few occasions that Jalen and Ty did pull the ball, they had a lot of green to work with. Really, the same exact plays for both of them went for explosives from the quarterback position. But, you know, I thought your other guy, too, Roydell Williams, four carries, 23 yards, uh, caught three passes for, for 20. I thought Roydell looked really good. And, you know, on my side of things, um, you know, I, I was I was happy Um with Jam Miller and the, the way he performed, eight carries, 23 yards. Um, you know, I also had I had uh, Jace McClellan on my squad. And, you know, this was something we kind of worried about going into the scrimmage, right? Between Jace McClellan, especially, and Roydell Williams, you got two guys that you already know a lot about. So how involved were they going to be? Well, Jace still had seven carries for 37 yards. So uh, he did some nice things, but we kind of figured it would be more Jam Miller and Justice Haynes, even though they were on the same team, it turned out. Uh, and that kind of was the way it played out. Yeah, I mean, overall, the, yeah, the whole overall, the group, I just, you know, the running room wasn't there right away, which I was a little disappointed to see, but it made sense. Um, and again, like you said, the quarterbacks, I mean, they ran. I mean, they combined for uh, almost 130 yards rushing between Ty Simpson and Jalen on 20 carries. And that's not counting the, uh, um, that's not counting. I think it's taking the sack yards off, isn't it? Yeah, this this is the thing you got to remember with these rushing totals too, and you're about to hit on it. I think the the sack yards come out, you know, for the quarterbacks. So you, you got to factor that into it too, right? And they had 130 yards. I mean, they they did that. And I think that you know that's certainly an option in the game. But again, like you said, I was impressed with Roy Dell. Um, he did some nice things. And overall, I thought the group, considering there wasn't, I really was more happy that the defensive line looked so good and wasn't so worried about the, uh, 
the running game. I know the offensive line is still a work in progress. We'll get to the tackles and all that kind of stuff going on and you know, as we continue talking. Yeah, without taking out the uh, sack yardage, the white team averaged 7.2 yards per carry. Uh, right. And as for the Crimson team, they averaged 4.6. I mean, those are yeah, – you'll take those uh, yeah. you know, a lot, a lot of weeks. Hey, let's talk wide receivers, Tim. Your guy, Malik Benson, teamed with Kobe Prentice on Team Tim. I had Jermaine Burton and Ja'Cory Brooks. Um, Benson really wasn't as involved as much until the end of the scrimmage. Now, here's what you got to look at with Malik Benson, too. He was going good on good based on how the teams were broken okay. down. So he, he was seeing Kool-Aid and Terion Arnold, whereas Burton and um, – yeah, Burton wasn't that that wasn't the case. He was going against those young corners. Yeah, you know, the wide receiver group as a whole, again, the drops with Burton and uh Bond. Oh man, Isaiah left some yards on the on Two. the I yeah. know I know he's beating himself up over that, but you know, the thing I like to take out of that as positive is how open he is against good, you know, good football players. So obviously, you know, the receiving yards, you saw the backs. You know what I noticed was how involved I don't know if I've ever heard or seen in a spring game or any game where I heard every tight end's name. I don't even recall that in the spring game, but I think everybody got opportunity in this one, didn't they? And now Black certainly flashed that athleticism we expected out of him. And we, I mean, we've seen it before, but he did some things to show us what kind of athlete he is. Yeah, Burton had an explosive play that we saw there in the in the uh, latter stages of the scrimmage, a 33-yard uh, excuse me, a 57-yard pickup on a connection from Ty Simpson. But you're right, the drops, uh, they weren't limited to just a couple of guys. So here's the thing I, I, I wanted to see more of that I didn't, at least in one scrimmage anyway. And Nick Saban post-scrimmage said, look, this hasn't been as much of a problem through the first 14 practices than what we saw on Saturday. Contested catches, too. It's not just the outright drops. I want to see guys go up and win the 50-50 balls. Um, and I'll tell you who can do that, and I think's going to do that, is uh, Kendrick Law. Uh, he had two catches for 63 yards for the white team, and a couple of those came on those sideline throws where you know that safety's coming, Tim, and you still make the play. I mean, we saw Jake Pope light up uh, Jermaine Burton on one of those uh, in, in the scrimmage, but Kendrick Law is just one of those tough dudes that I think in terms of dependability – He's that guy right now, maybe. What's the old rap saying? Built like a tank and hard to hit. I think that's Kendrick. I mean, that's safety when he's running at Kendrick. He ain't really licking his chops to dive into him. That's a big boy. You know, he's yeah. that's a big, strong guy. And I think the uh, the uh, comparisons to Debo Samuels physically, I, I would agree with that. He's a big, thick kid, got some speed on him, and deceptively good hands that we didn't really know about. You know, in high school, he was a – do all everything didn't have you know a lot of senior film out Alabama staff loved him obviously um he was a priority and you know LSU went on him and other teams as well but uh we're trying to you're getting a chance to see that but yeah but he's going to be a guy contested not going to be scared of the hit because that that hookup with Jalen I mean that was fantastic on both ends it was just a great play it wasn't bad defense either it was just perfect offensive play how about Emmanuel Henderson with his touchdown catch uh, that was that was not only speed on de- on display working from the slot against Malachi Moore, but he ran a really wicked route there, kind of a double move um, that got him a little bit of separation as well. 
Uh, Malachi, I think, anticipating the in-breaking route and kind of a fade or a, a go from there for Emmanuel Henderson. His his evolution at, at wide receiver continues. Yeah, you know, when you look at a lot of those guys, they look the part, don't they? All the way yeah. from, you know, even the young guys, Jared Hamilton looked good out there, Jalen Hill. I'm talking physically, they look like those wide receivers that you want to see out there. So uh, I thought the wide receiver, you know, you know, obviously the drops again, and that's the tight ends factor um, factor into that. But, you know, I also think it was a chance that they really weren't focusing as much on a, on a you know, like CJ Dupre. I think there's a little bit of hiding what they're going to do with him. Uh, I think you worked in some other tight, you know, tight ends. I saw uh, Danny Lewis had four or five catches. Did yeah. have a game was a, you know, a big active active guy is going to be really good in that short, that short and uh, um, second and third and short, trying to get that first down, maybe turn it up the field. So overall, you know, Nye Black had some catches and and Lockwood even got a chance. So I'm saying basically all the tight ends got some action, kind of maybe what we're going to see in the future with this group. Yeah, and that's where we're at right now on this is with the tight ends. You had C.J. Dupree. I had Amari Nyblack. Uh, you're right. Dupre, they got the ball to him early on a little kind of short route for six yards. Um, Nyblack had one of those drops, too, by Alabama receivers. He ended up with three catches for 12 yards, but absolutely uh, with as many tight ends. And they still have six scholarship tight ends, even after the departure of Elijah Brown. Uh, again, what we saw Saturday, spreading the field, a lot of 11 personnel, Tight ends flexed out into the slot. I think you're going to see tight ends utilized in that way. And we did see some 12 personnel. But I, I, I'm thinking the balance between 11 and 12 is going to be a lot closer uh, than what we saw even in the 8A game. So that gets us through the tight ends. We moved to the offensive line. You had uh, Elijah Pritchett. I had J.C. Latham uh, for Pritchett. Kind of a tough day in some ways. Again, we we talk about how things are planned for a scrimmage like that, um, how you would game plan for a, a game compared to what we saw on Saturday. Uh, entirely different, but I think just based on what we did see, uh, it's safe to assume anyway, Tim, that the competition for that one tackle spot opposite J.C. Latham is kind of like quarterback, going to continue through the summer and right on into and perhaps through fall camp. Yeah, I thought Proctor did a pretty good job, you know, skipping over to him. Uh, I'm not an offensive line expert. You know, you got to go back and watch those guys on their own. Uh, but I just felt like Pritchett just wasn't really getting out. I don't think he's stepping back. Um, his kickback step, I don't think it was nearly deep enough because he was kind of – I think he was scared of losing his balance by that long stride, which takes you – you know, which gets him out there in that space. But otherwise – that short stride was just having guys sprint around him. And again, he had some pretty good guys coming at him. Um, that first real game, I know his scrimmage is one thing, but that first game action, you know, in front of a crowd for him, I don't think it was his best performance. I thought Latham was as good as we thought he was. I thought Proctor looked better. I think Proctor's going to be trouble at that tackle position. I think, yeah, I could. yeah to be so young, I mean, he's only been there a few months again and, you know, he's coming from Iowa, not the highest level of competition. So you always wonder about his learning curve. I thought he did pretty good overall. Yeah, and physically, the progress and changes that a guy can undergo, even in the next three or four months, 
can make a big, big difference in helping the game slow down a little bit. Yeah, J.C. was J.C. You know, he he didn't really give up anything on that right side. If anything, I thought Michael Goodwine one time got the corner on him a little bit, uh, but that was about the extent of it. And absolutely for Proctor. And I thought the young offensive lineman in general showed some real promise. Alina working alongside Proctor there with the twos at guard. We saw Rock Montgomery come on. Uh, at the left guard position in the scrimmage as well. Wilkin Formby, I believe it was the right side where they had Wilkin working there in the second half. Um, Miles McVeigh, early in the scrimmage, working with the second offense uh, at right tackle. So I thought there was a lot of things to like about the young players. And you know what? We forget about returning players a lot of time. I'll tell you a guy who had a good scrimmage. If you go back and watch it, Terrence Ferguson had a really good scrimmage at right guard. Now, as you said earlier, you got to consider who he's working against, and he was working against primarily that second group. But um, I thought the veteran now and, and Terrence Ferguson showed some good things. Yeah, I would agree. Again, I didn't really go deep with the offensive line. I still want to go back and watch them. Just haven't had time. It's just hard to mix it all in there. But mm-hmm. um, it's good to hear about Ferguson. I'll watch out for that. I was a big fan of his out of high school um, and was hoping that he would take those next steps. In pass protection, it wasn't happening uh, if you were rushing against Terrence Ferguson. I was, again, understanding he was going against next next up guys. Uh, thought he did a really nice job. Defensive line, let's talk about that. You had James Smith, the freshman, as your pick there uh, for the defensive line. I had Jaheim Otis. We both kind of agreed that it can get tough for defensive linemen in this game and trying to pick and, and take away a whole bunch. Uh, but it was actually Tim Smith who won the Dwight Stevenson Award as the most outstanding lineman in the game. What did you think about James Smith? I saw him a couple times really flash. What I liked was he beat some one-on-ones to to disrupt some things. And as long as he's doing that within the scheme of the defense, I got to think you like that if you're Freddie Roach. Yeah, and I think that's going to be the one thing right there that you said is because we've seen – Alabama's not going to play the guys that get get out. You know, the same thing with Christian Barmore, Quinnen for a year. Um, if they don't get there, if they don't get in the system and do, because I mean, look, James Smith's a talented guy. He can, you know, he can play fetch. He can find, you know, find the ball, get the ball uh, pretty easy. Dominant in high school, big, quick. I mean, just a big guy to be so quick. So he's going to be able to do all that, but he's also going to have to learn. Because, you know, those aggressive guys, sometimes they're the easiest to trick. You know, oftentimes that best end or that best guy with that outside containment is the one that gets burned the worst on <laughs> worst on that double reverse, you know, because he comes in so hot. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he shows some things. And I, I thought, and again, Tim Smith did a good job. There's definitely that. We were seeing, um, you know, we were seeing what we want to see out of him. This is a big year for him. So I'm hoping he has a great year. But, in, you know, in our battle, I think Otis – Definitely had more of an impact. I noticed him more than James. Not that I didn't see the talent James has, but I didn't really see the plays. I would say Otis had more plays than James. Jaheim showing that ability to attract double teams, too. I mean, you got to account for that, dude. He finished with three tackles, two solos. But overall, I thought the top tier of the the rotation showed some promise. And I still think for James Smith um, – and guys like Michael Goodwine, even Jamarian Latham, who didn't participate in the 8A game due to injury. As far as interior sub-package type pass rushers, um, it was good to see Justin Aboigby 
provide some of that in his return from a neck injury. He had a sack in the scrimmage, uh, but they need another guy. Even if a boy B is one of those guys, they need one of these other guys to come along in that kind of role. What about the linebackers, Tim? You had Trez Marshall, the transfer from Georgia. I had Jihad Campbell going into his second year in the program. Those guys actually opened the scrimmage alongside one another. Uh, Marshall, and pretty limited action, I would say, because they did rotate some guys in and out. Four total tackles for him. Um, I, I thought in terms of what they probably wanted to see from the linebacker level, especially with Dallas Turner out, with Chris Braswell out, De- Deontay Lawson out, um, wasn't bad, I'd say. No, I thought I thought Jihad, I was happy to see, because I thought, you know, last year we saw him at the end of the year, he kind of, to me, looked a little bit lost at the linebacker position and Spent his high school career basically as a rush end, and um, I thought he lost, but I thought he looked really good in this game. Marshall, I liked. I saw him knock a pass downfield. I don't know how either of us didn't pick Jefferson. Yeah. Did we Justin do something to irritate us? Because <laughs> he definitely feels like a guy now. I remember thinking Justin. We went with chalk. We went with the chalk, man. Yeah, but I, I mean, you know, Jefferson's a guy. I saw him knock down a pass, defending a pass. Saw yeah. Marshall down the field, defending a, defending a pass, very athletic guys. Um, and athletic, you know, you, you see Campbell. You know, he's got a lot to learn. But it, to me, it looks like he took strides from December to, uh, to April. Yeah, I would say if you're thinking about top three or four guys at inside linebacker right now, they feel good about what they've got, especially with Deontay coming back um, in the summer to go along with Trez Marshall and – uh, Jihad, and you said it, Justin Jefferson, the thing about that dude, and you saw it on his junior college tape, he can play sideline to sideline, yeah. but he doesn't also, he doesn't mind bringing it between the tackles either. Sometimes maybe to the extent where he's a little overly aggressive, but you can deal with that right now, I think. Yeah, he was, he was, he was, he was coming in hot. I mean, he was emotional in that game. I mean, it was, he was pretty excited to be playing it. And we definitely can't uh, forget Blackshire. I saw yep. him in several plays. Big again, you know, looks just like the Nike commercial for a football player. You know, the mannequin at at Dick's or Academy. When you walk in, that mannequin looks like Kendrick Blackshire. So I mean, he had we had uh, what do you have? Eight tackles, seven solo tackles, and a sack. So a good showing for him. But yeah, I think the linebacker position was pretty. I thought the defense overall was pretty exciting. To yeah. What about the outside guys? I, I thought it was good to see Keanu Coot finally healthy. And yeah. able to to do some things. He had a couple of sacks in the scrimmage. Um, you know, he and Q Robinson were were problematic for uh, yeah, for that uh, that yeah. white team protection. And Malachi Moore coming on some pressures uh, presented some issues as well for the white team pass protection, as we yeah. talked about earlier. But um, Alexander was in there pretty good. Yeah, Quay Rusal and, and I was going to ask you, Quay okay. Rusal, Jeremiah Alexander. Yeah, both of them. Jeremiah's just that guy that if he puts hands on you, he's he's trouble. I mean, he's a guy that can shed a block. He's quick enough to pressure the quarterback. They're not going to sit down there long. But what he's really good at is is pursuing that football. He could, you know, head on, controlling that edge, chasing it down from behind. I saw that a couple of times in the game. And, yeah, Russo got in there. We saw him flashing. So a lot to like, you know, at that linebacker position, especially because you've got – you got some youth. Sean Murphy was out there. You got some youth. You got some experience. I mean, Marshall and Jefferson are going to be two guys that are, you know, junior in eligibility. Plus, you got some young guys, redshirt freshmen, 
and, uh, you know, trying to make an impact. So I was excited about how athletic that group looked. And oh, by the way, Keon Keeley and uh, Yonzi Pierre on the way <laughs> at outside linebacker. So, you know, uh, I, roster uh, retention is such a big part of things in the transfer portal era. And uh, I think when you think about the linebacker level between inside and outside, if you're, if you're going to worry about an area of this team that might have problems keeping guys around with everything it currently has in its war chest, I would point to uh, I'd point to those areas probably more so than a lot of others. What about the defensive backs? You had you had Caleb Downs, the outstanding freshman early enrollee with a big statistical performance. And really, Tim, not just statistically, because we've seen from Alabama safeties in the past where post game, you look at the box score and you go, wow, 13 tackles. But you just didn't feel like they were much of a presence in the game. You know what I mean? Oh, Whereas Caleb Downs can have eight tackles, and you're thinking, damn, felt like he had 12 or 15. Yeah, absolutely. Malachi Moore, Jake Pope, can't sleep on him. That guy, man, he, we knew, I knew he was fast. I knew he was tough, but he was all over the field. So, I mean, between those three, you saw a lot of action um, getting to the ball, uh, you know, getting, you know, pressuring the quarterback. And, um, I think they all, I don't think Caleb had a sack, but he had that tackle for loss out the flat. So they all had plays behind the line of scrimmage, which you like to see from your safeties. And, uh, um, and, and of course, Earl Little, that interception is just, you know, that interception he had friggin', you know, all American type play from the read to the catch to the hold. So, uh, Earl Little did a great job at, at star at corner. So, um, yeah, I mean, those guys, I mean, Kool-Aid is, you know, Kool-Aid is what we think Kool-Aid is. And Story also looks the part out there. Yeah, I feel better about safety depth after Saturday and the star position, as you said, Earl Little with a really impressive performance. Uh, Jake Pope, as you mentioned, 10 total tackles, tackle for loss, couple pass breakups. He was kind of like Caleb Downs in that even when he wasn't making plays, you, you had a sense that he was in the neighborhood and Brayson Hubbard for a guy that's really transitioning full time to th- that position uh, coming from the high school level where he was uh, you know, primarily a quarterback, uh, five solo tackles and he had a tackle for loss. And I like I liked a little bit of the closing speed I even saw from Hubbard on the long run by Ty Simpson. You know, Ty breaks it, cuts it back. Uh, he's got a lot of room to work with and. Brayson Hubbard closed that up pretty quick in making that saving tackle. So what about corner depth? Um, With some of the departures we've seen of late, star corner impacted. McKinstry and Arnold, I thought, looked like high-level SEC starters in the scrimmage. But, boy, uh, there's a lot being put on Des Ricks right now and Jalil Hurley and Antonio Kite as a second-year player. Yeah, I thought, you know what, Rick, you know, because that, that recruitment happened so fast. We never, we barely got to know him before it happened. He reclassified, you know, he's leaning to LSU, ends up at Bama. Man, he looks, physically, he looks the part. He's going to get a little bit lost for sure. Um, at, you know, this early, you know, you're out there dealing. That cornerback position, being on that island's not not easy. But I thought Antonio Kite showed good instincts. I think Arnold and Kool-Aid and, Little are probably those three guys that, that are going to see the most playing time early. But I think there's a little bit – there's not a deep, 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 obviously, defensive back class. But there's there's some there's some depth there a little bit more. I felt a little bit better about it afterwards. I'm still not convinced that a, 
Caleb Downs in a pinch couldn't play cornerback. You know what I mean? I think he could mm-hmm. he probably could play running back in the SEC. That's one of those guys that can do just about anything. But I think they got some flexibility there. I think it's a high quality. It's not so much, you know, the depth, the, the quantity. Yeah, I agree. I think, and I've written about this of late when looking at corner, depending on how things play out, I, ideally Kool-Aid and, and Tarion just go wire to wire. You know, but if you end up needing a third corner, perhaps it has to be or a little in one of those spots that goes out there. And uh, you can still do some things, though, with your depth at safety, assuming you're able to maintain it as it sits right now. Uh, and that'll give you some some flexibility in your sub package roles as well. So there you go. That's what we had. By the way, I wanted to commend Jalil Hurley, too. You know, he gave up the deep ball to Jermaine Burton there in the second half, but he didn't give up. I mean, he ended up making enough of a tackle to keep Burton short of the end zone. So uh, he's got a ways to go, but you like to see that sort of competitive nature from a young player after he, after he gives one up. I did feel, I did feel that there was a, there was a lot of competition out there. I thought these guys took the game serious. Uh, I felt like, you know, there's a little, you know, hand clapping, you know, celebrating a little bit more than I expected. I thought they took the game serious and we kind of expected that. We talked about that with so many young guys to get that chance. They've waited their whole life for that in several cases. You know, some of these guys are coming from junior college. Some of them, you know, you know, a guy like Trez, he's been injured. And, you know, to get back on the field after an injury, to come from junior college and go from, you know, 1,100 people at a game to playing in Brian Denny. Uh, that's a dream for a lot of these guys. A lot of these true freshmen have been waiting on this their whole life. So I thought it was a fun game. What should be fun also coming up later this week is the 2023 NFL draft set for Kansas City, Missouri. What about it, Tim? You know, last week we talked about how Bryce Young appeared entrenched as the number one overall selection to the Carolina Panthers. But here in the last few days out in Vegas, the money has moved a little bit. There's Will Levis making a run uh, out in the desert uh, as a legit threat to Bryce Young at number one overall. Are you buying or selling that potential there for Will Levis? I'm not. I feel like that mom in the movie. I wish you would. almost. (laughs) I actually partly want to see it if it happens to see the the uh what what would happen uh, you know on the on the back end of if that guy didn't work out well we know what would happen but i'm not buying it i mean it, it could be true it's the nfl i mean it's basically anybody could just pop in and and uh you know you know you, you know you, you you like the one you like it's like picking your wife almost it's like you like the one you like so when you get um uh, these guys, they could do anything. But at the same time, I, I, I just think there's too much of a – I mean, Bryce canceled all of his interviews. Now, Carolina is not going to say we told him that he's number one. In fact, they said the opposite. But he's got some feel that he's going number one. And, you know, you saw that with like a Jalen Carter where he's like, I'm only talking to top ten teams. Uh, he probably had a good idea he's going in the top ten when that comes about. But I still have um, – I still think that he goes number one. I think Bryce goes number one. I think it's a smart move, but I'm really curious what's going to happen with CJ Stroud because boy, some of these test scores, some of these Oof. people started to pick him apart. Yeah. And, uh, you know, once they started to pick him apart, it got, you know, you know, he got that low score on that one test and then it finds out he's taken the test several times. So <laughs> I don't want to think 18 was his highest score, but 
you know, you know, I was talking to an NFL guy that said a lot, and I agree with this, a lot of what people think of him was for the, because of the Georgia game. And we discussed this on the last part of the one before, but a lot of teams did that to Georgia, beat them on the back end. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of Georgia, he had a lot of struggles. So I'm curious what happens there. Cause there's been some smoke. The will could go number two um, yeah. I'm saying he will. And I'm not even sure. Will's a, I know people are talking up Tyree Wilson, but what I do know is probably this late, this close to the draft, I think we're going to see the most rumors we can possibly get. Again, I mean, the mock drafts, I I appreciate the guys that actually do the research. Some of the guys on the mock drafts have connections, but at the end of the day, there's it's not recruiting. Nobody's telling them, yes, we're taking this guy number three. Because if I go out and report – that he, they're taking them number three. And I, I'll give you an example. Last year, there was a ton of talk. All the talk was about Smitty, Devonta Smith. Uh, was that two years ago? That All the yeah. talk about him to the Giants. It had definitely been leaked. He was number 10 to the Giants, or 11, whatever it was, on every single mock at the time. Well, the Eagles traded up and got him. <laughs> so... I think that's one of the reasons, even if they didn't leak it, somehow it was found out they were going to take him. So I don't think they're big on telling people that. So you're almost going, you know, there's still going to be some, you know, you know, number one don't matter as much, but there's a lot of jockeying for two and three and four. I mean, we're getting down there to Anthony Richardson. I'm still seeing him in the top five, which, you know, nothing against him. It just blows my mind to see him that high. I'm curious to see what happens with Jalen Carter. But I still think Levis at the end of the day is probably going to be taken after Stroud, Bryce, and uh, Anthony Richardson. I'm curious to see what happens with Anthony Richardson and, and Levis, though. Yeah, with the quarterbacks beyond Bryce, test scores, whatever, it's more about the gaps and tape for those guys, for me, than anything else. I mean, you just talk about consistent tape. That's Bryce by far over the rest of these quarterbacks, whether it's Stroud or Levis or, and I know Levis played through some stuff uh, this, this most recent season, but I think it's appropriate. The drafts in Missouri, right? The show me state. So show me Carolina that you'll actually take Will Levis over Bryce Young. Although I know that's the preference for Tim Watts, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, because, uh, I think Tim likes the idea of Will Levis in the NFC South, whereas, you know, I prefer him in the AFC South more so than uh, Bryce Young. And you're right about the Texans there, too. There's so many different ways that thing could go. Uh, if they're not completely sold on a quarterback, hell, they could trade out, right? I mean, get their new tra- coach. trade back, get, get some more picks. Yeah, don't forget their new coach is a very defensive-minded young man, D'Amico Ryan. So yes, he is. He's going to be, you know, and I think most teams depend. The recruiting's that same way. Most teams depend or draft or pick. Of course, it's not D'Amico. It's just going to be the GM or, you know, their draft team's decision. I imagine he'll have some input. But um, most of them go for what they know. And if you're a defensive-minded coach or you're an offensive-minded coach, you want that guy. But everybody knows you've got to have that franchise quarterback. In Texans, they have a lot. They have a lot to do from trading. You know, they've traded their, you know, their their left tackle. They traded their quarterback. They traded their wide receiver one in recent years. So they've got a lot to build on. Um, they've got a lot to build on. So I think that you know, getting a quarterback's probably a pretty smart move for them. But it's hard for me to argue with you know, you know, Will Anderson, even the guy from Texas Tech. 
Yeah. Uh, edge rushers, you know, they're as important as quarterbacks. They're not sexy, but at the end of the day, aren't you still trying to put, you know, butts in the seats? Yeah. You know, season ticket sales go flying through the roof because you get an outside linebacker? Probably mm-hmm. not. But if you get a quarterback in the top five, it probably helps, helps you out a good little bit. Yeah, if if the Texans stay at two and don't take a quarterback, it's got to be because they're just going ahead and thinking ahead to next year, you know, when Drake May and Caleb Williams and those guys are expected to come through. Um, and, and you take maybe Will Anderson there as an edge rusher, but you're right. Uh, fans want quarterbacks right now, and typically team owners do too. Uh, a yeah. lot of times it, it's coming from the very top. Uh, that directive as far as the most important position on the field. I'll be honest with you. I'm not taking, if I'm the Texans, because they need, you know, they need close to 22 players. I don't know how many they're comfortable with, but they need a lot. So the best thing to do is kind of what the 49ers did. The 49ers valued high picks less than they valued multiple picks. I mean, because mm-hmm. 14 picks compared to seven, you're doubling your chance regardless of the round. Regardless of the round, you're doubling your chance at finding NFL players that can impact you. And we've seen Hall of Famers in the fifth, sixth, seventh round. Uh, you know, you know, George Kyle, for instance, the tight end for the 49ers. We've seen guys that can impact your team. Travis Kelsey was a third rounder. There's a lot of guys. How about Tom Brady? Yeah. Absolutely. There's a lot of guys. There's a lot of value down there. And everybody doesn't have to be a you know an all pro player to help you. I mean, there's a lot of great football players that don't make the Pro Bowl. They're just so. Well, you you mentioned those sort of next wave guys. So for Alabama coming up on Thursday or Friday, I guess it could be, but third player taken in the draft from Alabama, is it Brian Branch? Is it Jameer Gibbs? It would seem to come from one of those two. That's who I've got. And I'm really watching, you know, at the end of the draft, and I've said this a few times on the message board, there's three teams. You've got the Saints with Alvin Kamara, you know, got a little bit of a questionable situation, questionable situation. Getting up there in years, you got the Eagles and you've got Kansas City Chiefs. Those were pretty good fits for Gibbs all the way around. A running back who can catch the ball out of the backfield. I'm not saying that's what their needs are, but the Chiefs definitely want offensive weapons. And the Eagles definitely are one of the best, you know, franchises right now. They draft, they're really smart. Everything they do seems to hit money. But also, Brian Branch is in that area for all three of those teams as well. So I'm looking at that three spot to see. I still think it's Gibbs, but it's not going to shock me if it's Branch. The biggest negative to Branch is what we've discussed on here several times, and that's simply, you know, his position. They're just not as priority as, you know, as others. Yeah, it's uh, it comes down to some value, I think, for both those guys. I think there's some clubs that probably look at Brian as having – uh, maximum value because they see him as a safety who can also play the slot corner position. And then there's other teams that may look at him and go, he's a tweener. He's not really a star. We're not sure he's an elite safety. I don't know if there's more than a handful of teams that think that way, but just sort of outlines or underscores how teams have various opinions of players. You know, with B. John Robinson, there is the, the top back on so many mocks, it would seem that Jameer would be second, but we talked about it before, man. The thing you can't look away from with Jameer is just that home run ability. And, and, and you don't have to, you know, throw it 30, 40 yards down the field to get it to him. Easy touches for Jameer Gibbs can go big. So I think that I would probably go with Branch at the end of the day. 
just because, again, of that versatility. And in some clubs' opinion, or some clubs' evaluation, they're thinking we're getting two players in one. Um, but I won't be surprised if it, it, how that how that sort of plays out with those two guys. How about the recruiting fallout from a day weekend, Tim? Um, obviously, still a lot to go in terms of mile markers for this 2024 class, and the summer plays a big role in that with camps. And uh, but there was a commitment going into the weekend from uh, Caden Jones, the four-star outside linebacker, and. You pretty much gave us the the heads up that that one was coming. Yeah, Alabama liked him, started pushing for him. It's been been an interesting recruiting because, you know, he visited a couple of times, and this time he was just sold on Bam. And when you look at him, he's kind of that outside, you know, he is that, I think he's going to end up that outside edge rusher that Alabama, um, that Alabama likes, maybe that jack position. He's almost six foot four legit. Barefoot out of camp measurements, 210, but might be a little bit closer to 215, 220 right now. Has a great frame, has speed off the edge, is fun, you know, is fine in space when you watch him. But a big pickup, Joe Cox, primary recruiter right there. As always noted, Alabama recruits as a team, but, you know, they pushed on him, went on him, just offered him on uh, in January. And then, you know, he comes back, you know, he had a, he had a January visit, he had April visit, he was sold on Alabama. So a good pickup, you know, they're doing pretty well with this class and, and being selective. And, you know, we still got the June camps coming up and that's when, you know, that's when things really pick up for Alabama. Yeah. And that's when you'll really start to see the updates uh, continue as, as they're, they're plenty and fast and furious right now at BamaOnline.com. So you want to check that out. Got some good stuff coming from Hank South as well. So plenty of recruiting coverage for you right there with us at BamaOnline.com. What about some baseball, Tim, before we head to the roundtable mailbag? Um, the Braves, a little bit of a rough weekend, I guess, with the Astros in town, the hated Astros. But uh, Spencer Strider, what about that performance here in the last couple of nights on the mound for the Braves? And Alabama baseball with a sweep of Missouri on the road in Columbia over the weekend. They're on a little bit. Bama's on a little bit of a heater, right? They lost the first one at Auburn, won five straight yep. SEC games, and man, did they really need to, you know, win that? Beat a, you know, beat a decent Sanford team last night, thirteen to six, and you know now they've got they won some of the games. You still wanted them to win, you know. You still you still wanted them to win that, you know, that Mississippi State series where they ended up losing two out of three, and you know they battled all year, but now they're coming into the you know, they're coming into the, the ugly part of their schedule. They've got LSU. They've got Vanderbilt back-to-back. So that's six really tough games. You know, if they can come out of there two and four, I think they'll be, they'll, they'd be pretty happy with that. Anything better than – anything more than that's gravy. Then they got Texas A&M and Ole Miss to figure up. But also some really big wins. Um, you know, Bama – you know, Bama baseballs did a good job, when the, you know, picking up after kind of being down. And the Braves, you know – I, I still love the I still love Major League Baseball. I know we always have the people that don't, but um, yeah, the Braves are having a good season. There's a lot of storylines that you see. The Astros are, you know, the Astros are a good baseball team, and you know, Atlanta struggled with a couple of those teams, San Diego, and uh, their relief pitching just hasn't been as as good as you want in a few of those games. But they're just now getting a lot of guys back healthy. They're missing a lot of guys, so. You know, my favorite time of the year, this is close to it, 
at least this favorite area with the spring game, all the spring games going on. Plus you have, you know, NFL, you know, you have the NFL draft, you have the NBA playoffs and you have the start of the major league baseball season. So pretty, pretty exciting stuff. Yeah. For Alabama, they got a freshman, the Crimson Tide does, and Colby Shelton. He's one of those guys as a left-handed hitter that you, you kind of would want to watch just take BP every day with the way he swings the bat and uh, just a, a home run tear as a as a freshman. I think he just set um, last night Alabama's freshman record for home runs in a season. Think about the teams Alabama had back in the Gorilla Ball era, especially. We've had some, yeah. It's a hell of a mark. I think the concern I have for Alabama these next couple weekends, because it is LSU and Vanderbilt, some of the things they've worked around with the starting pitching from an injury standpoint, maybe they're going to get a little bit back in that regard. But, you know, trying to work through that with those type of teams on the horizon is a bit of a concern. But, boy, Alton Davis coming out of the bullpen, been really, really good as a closer. A couple of saves that, at Missouri, working extended outings in both of those. So some good stuff uh, for Brad Bohannon's team at 9-9 nine and nine in the league. You're 500 in the SEC. You're in great shape. Where an NCAA tournament regional berth is concerned. Uh, Tim, what about the NBA? I know that's your deal. Trey Young, what about him against Celtics on Tuesday night? You know, the one thing I love, the NBA playoffs, the one thing that's kind of irritating me, there's nothing to be done about it, but there's so much lost talent due to injury. I mean, we were robbed. I mean, we were talking about this on the round table last night. We were robbed of a Chris Ball, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant versus Russell Westbrook, Paul George, and Kawhi <laughs> first round playoff matchup. That sounds like a finals matchup with Paul not missed playing at all. And Kawhi, I think he has a torn ligament in his knee, missed the last couple of games, but in the first two games, he was averaging 35 a game. So playoffs are great. I mean, there's, there's a, there's a, a lot of drama in these things, and uh, there's been some unbelievable games. The last couple of closeout with the with the Lakers and Grizzlies and the Kings and Warriors, just the West alone feels like a Western Conference final for everybody. Hey, and also the East. I mean, like you said, Atlanta wins a big one. That game's going to six. Um, you know, and, the, and that whole this, which is great news for the 76ers because they're over there resting Joel Embiid's knee. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and he needs it. You know, he, there's a lot of wear and tear for the big guys. So, yeah, playoffs are in full force. For our PGA Tour fans that listen in, and I know you're out there, um, I took the weekend off. I just can't do the two-man team event at the Zurich Classic down in New Orleans. And, you know, no offense to those fine folks, but, man, that's uh, the, the, the silly season golf right in the middle of a run that you go from the players to the Masters to even the heritage, which was tremendous this time around as an elevated event. And I know we've got the PGA championship coming up. Um, you, you try to sneak in an event like that. And here's the thing, Davis Riley, former Alabama All-American, gets his first PGA Tour win as a member of the the two-man team that he was on. So it's great for Davis Riley. I'm happy for Davis Riley. Hell yeah, you get the benefits that come with that, the exemption, everything. Great for Davis Riley. Happy for him. Can't watch. Can't watch the silly season golf uh, in late April. Hey, Tim, let's go to the uh, roundtable mailbag here on T-Watts and TR. Let's check in with Finger17, who asks about Nick Saban's thoughts 
uh, our thoughts on Saban's comments post a day about portaling. Was he hinting at quarterback? And I think finger 17 asked this question, Tim, before the word of Tyler Buckner of Notre Dame, uh, perhaps being in play for the Crimson Tide. You know, when I did hear Nick Saban say those things, kind of wrote about this and talked about it afterward, uh, it, it wasn't exactly a vote of confidence for the, the two quarterback, primary two quarterback candidates. Um, so I can't say I'm, I'm shocked that there's been talk of or word of uh, Buckner and Alabama and those type of things. What, what about you, Tim? Yeah, I think, you know, that's one way. Nick Saban's always used words and statements like that to also motivate people. You know, it goes back to the you shop, we shop, you know, back in the day, a long time ago. And he's always said, like, almost a warning shot over the bow, so to speak, not so violent. He's just kind of saying, hey, get it together or we'll get somebody. I mean, I think we'll see, you know, with Tyler Buckner visiting, uh, obviously there's a connection there. Tommy Reese has to feel a strong connection there. The guy knows Tommy Reese, knows his offense. I mean, he was injured. Whether or not you think he's a good player or a bad player, that's totally your opinion. You know, and I would, I can see either way right now based on the the film and the information out there. But he, I do think that Tommy Reese has to feel comfortable with this guy. Now, they bring him in. I think that's a testament that yeah, they're probably not extremely happy with the current quarterback situation. But up up until last night, they haven't made a decision that I'm aware of. But I think, you know, obviously they're bringing him in for a visit, so they want to talk to him. They want to look at him. And, uh, you know, this is just one of those situations. I mean, if the offensive coordinator, he's had some time to look at the quarterbacks on campus. He knows what, you know, Tyler's capable of. So if he's, you know, you know, if this is his guy, this is his guy. So I would expect they would bring him in uh, if he feels that's the guy that could start for them. But I don't believe they're bringing in anybody just just to be a backup. Now, it could be a situation to compete, and it's wide open, and maybe that works better for Buckner because Buckner is, I think, Sam Hartman's over there at Notre Dame. They, I know he was, you know, he was probably promised a chance to, to be the starter at Notre Dame, so that could factor in. But Alabama's always, you know, with the portal, and, I, I mean, it's kind of funny. It's kind of a joke. and I mean, the, the guys like to joke about it, but it's funny. But everybody that hits the portal is Bama, Bama interested. They're going to kick the tires and do their due research on all of them. And they're constantly evaluating every position on the board. So when somebody does go in the portal, I think they're going to look at everybody. This has nothing to do with Tyler Buckner, just the portal in general. When a guy goes in the portal, they're going to look at him and they're going to say, hey, you know, you know, this guy might be able to start here. or This guy's not even going to be, you know, not going to be able to play here. So they're evaluating everybody in the portal. Yeah, there's not a positional exception in the portal. It's not like, well, we're only looking at guys in the portal in these two or three positions. Now, there may be increased value positionally based on what Alabama needs at the time, but there isn't an exempt position in the portal. They're, you know, Nick Saban's looking to get better at each and every spot on the football team at all times. And the portal now has become another major player in that process. So uh, I think here's the way I look at it is if they add Tyler Buckner, it may be worse news for Jalen Milrow potentially than even Ty Simpson, because if I'm Ty Simpson, and I went into last Saturday is pretty much the two still. I'm in the competition, but I'm 
pretty much the two at that point. If Alabama goes to the portal, that that's telling me that maybe Reese and Saban aren't even sold on uh, Jalen Milrow, who is three years into his development now. And so I'm still in this thing, I guess is what I'm saying. If I'm Ty Simpson and Tyler Buckner comes in, if I'm Jalen Milrow, it's it, it, it'd be, in my opinion, a tough pill to swallow. Uh, yeah, if Buckner's brought in, even if it's with the understanding that the job is still open, it's still a competition. There is no guarantee that Buckner's coming in to start. Yeah, I think the portal. I mean, the portal to me, there's so many, there's so many situations involved. I mean, every school is dealing with the same thing. If you take somebody in the portal, how does it affect somebody else? I mean, if you take Buckner, you very well could lose somebody in the portal. So you're basically weighing, you know, the, you know, you have to weigh that out. Is it to your advantage if you gain one and lose one? Is that to your advantage? I mean, there's so much, you know, you know, and there's so many, you know, the portal itself is just, to me, it's just a mess. I mean, there's so many people in the portal. I mean, look what's happening at Colorado. Are they really going to get 60 portals? You know, I I think Dion's just straight cutting kids. You know, I know it's been also losing kids he didn't want to lose too some of these yeah some of these guys are you know and i saw one kid on twitter saying Dion wouldn't release his practice film which is kind of a especially if you cut him yeah yeah if you cut a guy you got to let him have his film absolutely you got to let his film out there now that could be a case of they just they were in the middle of spring and just haven't gotten around to it but is he really going to fill was it 60 spots with portal guys yeah you know, so that's, that's I think Dion believes here's what I think Dion believes when he looks at the roster he inherited at Colorado. He feels like it, even if he loses 20 or 30 of guys, if they're primarily twos and threes, he can replace them via the portal with better twos and threes and potentially ones is the way I think he envisions this playing out anyway. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Very Actually. I think Dion, I think there is certainly an allure when it comes to Colorado with Dion there. And I think Dion certainly believes that to be the case. Now, the question is, does Dion believe it more than is actually true eventually? <laughs> I think that's I think that's what we're going to find out here in the next month or so, because it's not just guys that are already in the portal. You know, guys around college football, uh, they still have until the 30th in this window to, to make it happen. So uh, there is still a wave of players in all likelihood that are going to take that leap where the transfer portal is concerned. Also in the mailbag, let's stick with uh, our guy finger 17 here. I'm working through this. Bear with me, bear with me finger. Ask about Caden Proctor. Do you think he's making a move at left tackle as we head into the summer months? Yeah, I think he's going to be a force to be reckoned with. I don't know if he's going to win the job. Um, obviously, you've got Pritchard, who's been on campus a little bit more. I don't know if it's going to be a situation where they switch, the, you know, Latham to you know left tackle and then work a, you know, a new guy in at right tackle, which is kind of what they did traditionally. Uh, they've got one tackle. They've got one really good tackle in Latham. So there's that's a luxury not every team has um, to begin with. So, I, But I do think Proctor's going to, you know, I think he's going to be a problem. I don't know if, again, I don't know if he's going to win this job, but I know that he's going to, you know, there's going to be a reckoning there with him. He's going to have some input on pushing somebody. And the way I look at it is if Proctor doesn't win the job, that tells me that guy ahead of him is pretty, pretty damn good. 
So that's mm-hmm. kind of what I'm looking at because I think Proctor's got a huge upside. Yeah, a lot of different possibilities still with those tackle spots because I think they're comfortable in thinking, hey, we can move J.C. Latham over to the left side. Yeah. But there's left. also a comfortability aspect to it because, you know, one guy might be left-handed. You know, it, it, that plays into it, left hand, left foot, yeah. those type of things. Comfortability yeah. is a big part of the tackle spots as well. But, yeah, Proctor. Is that uh, actually could, a word, by the way? Or what's that? Comfortability. I'm 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 comfortable in using it. So, well, yeah. You, your, you like it? Comfortability? Your, your, I've heard that before. Like, you know. I, and do, I don't know. I mean, I, I say. Maybe words. it was a Hanes underwear ad or something. Comfortability. Something words. like that. I don't know. Absolutely. I'm disappointed out. <laughs> a word, but my point's always, well, it sounds like a word, so it probably should be a word. We're pretty. We're pretty flexible with with the definitions in the words. Right? We have flexibility when it comes to comfortability. Yeah, it's a word. It is a word. It's definitely. Well, it is now. It is now, by God. All right, what else we got? Uh, Finger seventeen asking about Alabama softball. Does uh, Pat Murphy finally hire a hitting coach after this season? Eight runs in three games and a series loss to Auburn. Not ideal when six came in one game. Well, absolutely, you score. Um, two runs in the final two games of that series, uh, and you end up dropping the series to a visiting Auburn team. And look, I think part of this too, you, you've got limited staff still in sports like baseball and softball, and we keep hoping that you know they'll be able to take the volunteer role and make it a full-time position. I think that's part of it. When I look at this Alabama softball team right now, though, Finger, I, I think it's it's just missing some some legitimate SEC bats. You know, the the portal worked out well a couple of years back with Prangy and Shipman and, you know, some of those players. I'm not sure that's been the case as much of late. Uh, I think there are a couple of young players in Cahalan and Pruitt, when you talk about freshmen, that have a legit upside. Certainly in the case of Cahalan, that's the, the, the situation. She's stepped in as a reclassified freshman to not only do some good things offensively, but play the shortstop position. So uh, I guess my answer to that finger is I'm I'm not anticipating that being the case unless Alabama and and the NCAA expand those uh, coaching staffs, perhaps. Be rich here in the roundtable mailbag. He asks, Tim, with Riddick riding shotgun in Nick Saban's Mercedes-Benz for A-Day, how crazy is that recruiting battle going to be? I guess he's referring to the Georgia Bulldogs, right, when it comes to Alabama, because uh, that's the that's the current commitment, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I still want to see one of those guys driving with Coach Saban <laughs> shotgun. Um, I think that would be a pretty awesome thing one day. That would be a boss move to tell Nick, nah, Nick, Just I'm driving. Up, you know, wind it down. You got your lean on your left. You know, you got the left wrist over the – over the steering wheel. Taking yeah, over the aux. Yeah. It's going to be wild. I mean, DeMarcus Riddick, athletically, he's one, you know, really good player. Probably doesn't equal – his film quite doesn't equal what his potential is um, in the early stages. But the guy you're going to see on, you know, kickoffs, running around size and all that. Committed to Georgia early. Got a full court press from Georgia, one of their top priorities. But I think at the end of the day, he's going to end up in the state of Alabama – um, Alabama's definitely one to watch. Auburn's another one to watch. And, you know, something about, you know, some states it's just hard to get guys out of. Alabama, 
I know guys leave the state, and if you're an Alabama or Auburn fan, you're like, no, they leave all the time. But really, the vast majority of guys wanted by in-state schools tend to stay in-state, I think. You always have a – you know, you have a Clay Webb who went to Georgia. You have a Kelby Collins who went to Florida. You have situations like that, but a lot of these guys just stay close to home. And, you know, I'm, a, I'm an Alabama boy, born and raised, live, you know, live 15 minutes from my mom. So I, I kind of get that. But I think that's kind of what's going on with DeMarcus. Um, from Chilton County, kind of stuck right between Tuscaloosa and Auburn. I think it's going to come down to an in-state battle right now. Again, it's April. You know, a million things could change. But I haven't heard a lot of people believe that he's going to stick with Georgia at this point. There you go. That is your roundtable mailbag. We, as always, appreciate the contributions by the folks who decide to check in with us there. And Tim, we didn't even really get into Alabama men's basketball because there's been comings and goings where the roster is concerned. Yeah, that I mean, it's been, you know, you just have one thing or the other. You know, the Walton situation where he's no longer being recruited by Alabama. You know, saw very heated debates about, you know, you, you can't suspend the guy who's not on the team. He's still, you know, I, Alabama expected Walton to be on campus next year. Um, but he did have classes he had to finish, and he did have to get a waiver. They expected him to make it, but he still had work to do. But I think it was really you got to focus, lock it down, and then he gets in that situation. I'm not judging him. I don't know all the details. I don't know, um, you know, I don't know all the details. Again, I'm I'm not I'm not uh, a person that um, smokes weed or really does anything with weed. But I'm, I'm not a person real. I am a person realized probably should be legal. It is everywhere else. It seems like also possessing a gun, and you know, this state is pretty easy to do and not getting into the politics. So I'm not judging him for the situation he was in, or I don't know whose gun it was or who weed it was. But obviously, I think Nate Oates had, you know, probably had been on a, hey, we need to keep this, make it right, especially with everything that went on this year. And that dude, you know what? We don't praise Nate Oates enough. This guy's literally lost every assistant coach. He's trying to fill a roster. He's lost guys to the portal. He's got guys in the portal trying to hire three coaches and fill a roster. So the guy's got his plate full. So, you know, probably not in the best moods, you know, probably not in the best mood right now to deal with anything that's not basketball related. Yeah. Yeah. As you outlined, a guy that was still in the process of trying to be uh, eligible for the 2020. This is a good basketball player. Alabama. Yeah. Yeah, very high. If you watch him, he's long. He's got length. I mean, I hate to see anybody waste that kind of potential. I mean, shooting 40 percent at six foot seven from three, you know, with that that mm-hmm. kind of ability, that's that's NBA ability. So I hope whatever he does, he gets, you know, he gets himself straightened out, and, you know, kind of works through some of this stuff. And, you know, but definitely a talented guy. This was not something Alabama wanted to do. Mm-mm. Something I want to do is uh, check out next week's episode of Barry man that Dude, show. that's that's that if y'all aren't watching we're not gonna give a spoiler alert nuts we're not gonna ruin it if y'all aren't watching this show unless you're just a straight up jabron yeah if you're just straight up friends in beverly hills 90210 <laughs> this isn't for you but if you've got any kind of like it different like it little dark humor straight up humor Original characters there. I'm not sure the show could be any more original. And the mm. actors, 
are so good at convincing you they are the character they are. It's wild. You actually believe it. I mean, I never. Yeah. Would, it's hard to imagine Bill Hader was on Saturday Night Live. I have to literally. No, it's it's freaky. Yes, this guy's a comedian. how good he is in that role, and it's yeah. not skit comedy. No, know? absolutely. I mean, any humor is definitely dark humor with him. Um, but yeah, if you guys need a show, I think Barry. It's a really good place to start for you guys that are uh, spoiled and like to watch them all at once. This is the last season. They're close to halfway through it. So, you you know, if you start watching it today, you probably could run through it. But I agree with you, Travis. This is, it's as interesting a show, and I'm as excited about this last season as any show I can remember since maybe Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul. Which are it's got it's got that sort of darkness to it, right, and still maintains a semblance of humor. Uh, it's got that ability to sort of intertwine all that, like you're talking about was those aforementioned series, even the Sopranos had some of that in a way that, you know, oof. Yeah. the anti-hero you end up pulling for, right. You know, yeah. at the end of the day, it's not a good person at all. And yeah, you're, you're pulling for the anti-hero in all this. Yeah. It's rare. It's rare to find a show where I'm not sure you really like anybody. I mean, you like them. But, but they're got, not good people. Yeah, yeah, they're not good people. That's what I would tell people. Like I would, like I remember I rewatched all the Sopranos and I rewatched, finished Saul and I watched rewatched all of Breaking Bad and I texted a few friends as like, man, Tony Soprano and Saul and uh, Walter White they were some scumbags. <laughs> they're like the worst people in the history of man. Like just straight. You know, straight trash. Yeah, killing people and everything else. Murderers, yeah. Just straight trash. I mean, it was like just the worst people <laughs> in the world at the end, especially, you know, Saul was a terrible human being. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was yeah. just a, they were just all bad people, although we liked them. That's what a good, that's how good of a show they did. We actually liked the the bad guys, and most people consider them three of the best characters, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the end of the Sopranos. You're 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 willing to go to the fight to the death with people that Tony did not die in that final scene. He's still living. Yeah. You know? I still think I think the director's kind of hinted he died. I don't I, I don't even believe the guy that wrote it. I think he's making that up. I think no. Tony lived. I don't think he died in front of his whole family. No. I just have I don't to think so either. If Tony died, they all died. That's a shootout. I mean, there's not Yeah, a lot they're of- whacking everybody in the booth. Yeah, and I I, didn't, I don't see that. That's the way I don't I don't believe it. Now, I will say that he did rewatching it. I watched it with my second son, Cade. And um, I mean, I forgot some of the stuff like the kid where he took the kid's car that his dad owed him money and broke down the dad's store, the sporting mm-hmm. goods store. I mean, oh, that, that was awesome. Just, dude, yeah, guy, just busted that guy out. I mean, yeah. I think his relationship already told us a lot because already was a great guy. And he's like burning this place down and, you know, <laughs> you, know you know, just a, you know, just a different animal. Yeah. But Barry, um, Barry, I think is different than those Bowie. because I think he's got, you know, he's, he's, he, I think he's got issues. So no, ho Hank, no, ho Hank is tremendous. Gene Cousineau. I mean, the performances How about are the, incredible. And the dad who came in of this last, you know, end of last season. To, oh Yeah. Investigate his daughter's death. He's been in some stuff. Oof. He's, he's just. How about I, with that hose cleaning out that trunk when they I show mean, him in the last. <laughs> he, he, seriously, 
I'm a I'm a tell I'm a I'm a keyboard cowboy telephone tough guy. So when I see them, like I wouldn't be scared of him. Literally, that I, I would be scared of that. He gets guy. in that garage with those two chairs. It's on. <laughs> He's a, he is selling that part so well. Um, you know, it's hard not to it's hard not to be impressed with the actor. Kind of dread seeing him I've when seen he comes him, on. I've seen him in other things where he's not a bad. Guy. Oh no. So no, he's, but, uh, yeah, when you're actually getting that that gangster, yeah, uh, he's that dude. Yeah, good shows. You guys give Barry a try. If y'all do, we like. Even if you're watching it, we I'd like to hear some feedback. I'd like to jump into a thread with somebody if they started. If they hear this and start, yeah, you know, you've kind of gone through it. You you had you were caught up when I got started, but yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I'm gonna rewatch it. It's one of those shows that I think that, um, you know, I watch it week by week, but I do think that after it's all said and done, I'm gonna sit down and watch. Yeah, watch Bill Hader's amazing. Yeah, everybody to, is. Henry yeah. Winkler, I mean, I love it. That I love that character. That guy's just a monster of an actor to be around this long and. You know, another one who amazes me was uh, Squiggy from Laverne and Shirley. Lenny and Squiggy, yeah. The, the one, the tall one, is in is is in stuff all the time. He was yeah. Walter White's. I mean, he was Saul Goodman's brother in uh, Better Call Saul. But he, I see him all the time. And considering what a goofy ass role Lenny and Squiggy was, it's pretty impressive. I guess he was Lenny. I think Squiggy. Yeah, Michael Michael McKeon. Yes. Yeah. He was an, I mean, I believe what? Hell of an actor. Yeah. Yeah. He's been in in a lot, a lot of stuff. No doubt about that. Five foot two. That whole, my mom loved that show and Dr. Pepper. That's probably my best. That's probably what I remember my mom for the most outside of, uh, she's very religious, but, but Laverne and Shirley rolling in the floor laughing and drinking Dr. Pepper. So that show. And when you look back, Carmine, who's five foot two, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the whole show, Lydia and Squiggy and Laverne and Shirley, the the whole show, the whole concept. Some of those old shows, you know, you see it on TV land. My kids will run across it. Like the other day, they were asking me about the Jeffersons. <laughs> they were asking me about the Jeffersons. They're like, the mixed couple upstairs have one black kid and one white kid. I said, I know. It's odd, isn't it? <laughs> Well, you you know, you, you yeah, talk about it, Michael McKeon. I mean, you can't say Spinal Tap without oh, yeah, Michael McKeon. Oh, yeah, that's a great yeah. one. Yeah, those yeah. old shows, yeah. Been around forever. Yeah, even when I see old Happy Days, I squirm like, holy crap. I used to Man, think. Man, that was appointment good. television. Yeah, that, that really. That with Laverne and Shirley. All those yeah. all those shows were so corny. I like, still one that yeah. still holds up for me is uh, Sanford and Son. I don't well, think, yeah. I don't think Red I, Fox. I mean, come on. All timer. Like when, when I see the Jeffersons and all those shows, Archie Bunker, they're kind of like, to me, they're kind of like hokey. But I mean, Sanford is, uh, he still makes me laugh. He was, <laughs> he was, he was, it still seems pretty realistic to me. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's still, yeah, because it is a comedy act. It still seems pretty realistic to me compared to the other one. So, yep. Well, I think we've covered it, you know, you got just it. about every genre here on T Watson TR. What so do you think? game. To Bowie Shirley, we have yeah. covered nobody. Nobody else gives y'all this. <laughs> That's a bonus, bonus and segment. Yes, the bonus we give yeah. you is amazing. Need to call it the and one, and it's for free for you guys. There you go, totally free. 
That's what it's worth. Yeah, a lot of fun as always, Tim. And of course, we got so much stuff at BamaOnline.com. I mean, whether you're talking about Alabama football, Alabama hoops, baseball, recruiting is nonstop, basketball, football recruiting. Tim Watts, Hank South, Charlie Potter, Kirk McNair, myself, we're going to do our best to keep you covered right there at BamaOnline.com. And, of course, Tim, as he's um, talked about throughout the, the program, that roundtable, the message board of ours, our premium message board there at BamaOnline.com, you want to be a part of that deal as well. Anything else, Tim, before we get out of here? Nope, that's it. That'll do so, it. There you go. For Tim Watts, Travis Schreier, thanking you once again for joining us here on the Bama Online Podcast. Anywhere you find podcasts, you can find the Bama Online Podcast. So if you'd leave us a rating and a review, uh, we would greatly appreciate that. For Tim Watts, Travis Schreier, thanks again. Until next time. So long, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.